What up, 710? <clears throat> How are you guys? So one of the things that I learned tonight is that I'm not extra fun. I'm fun enough. So uh, I mean, <laughs> thank you for that love. I really appreciate it. Um, for those of you who are new, my name is Corey Casperson. I am uh, one of the leaders of this ministry who leads alongside Jade and uh, many other awesome people. And I'm super excited to be back with you guys. Um, I was telling the team beforehand, I was like, I feel like it's been a long time since I've seen you guys. And it's also because it has been a long time. So I think it's been like three or so weeks. So a few weeks back, I went to the, Domin- to the Dominican Republic. I went there with Paul Artino, and um, I'll share a little bit about that experience, but that's just an incredible time. I mean, if you guys have been overseas or you've experienced other cultures, you just know, one, it's just special to see how God created humans in a different culture. Like, you just see the beauty of God in that. And then there's like another layer to that where you see like brothers and sisters in Christ in a different culture. And I just feel like when I have those experiences to see brothers and sisters of Christ and humans and just how God has made the world, it just, it kind of expands your view of God. So I'm super thankful to be a part of that. So thanks for letting me be gone. I heard Brian did an awesome job, but a long job talking about dating. So you had an hour long dating talk. So hopefully he got everything in an hour for you guys. If not, then we'll bring him back for the second hour next time. It'll be good. And then we had a prayer night last week. um, And then I got super sick when I came back from the DR. So I literally was in bed most of last week, just trying to like survive a little bit. And so um, thank you for those of you who were here at the prayer night. And I I think there was like a great turnout. And we're starting to really lean into prayer um, in this... um, ministry. And I feel like God is leading me there, and I feel like he's leading me there so that he can lead us there. And so for those of you who have participated in that, I really do feel like you're at the nucleus and core of what God is like, at the heart of what God is really wanting to do in this ministry. So I'm super thankful. I'm really excited to be back with you. Um, and I will say, um, I would love for you guys to serve in Alaska this summer. If you, I've been there like, I think this is, might be my fifth or sixth time going on this trip. And I haven't been three years. So I remember when I was 18, when I, and I know I was 19, when I first went on this trip, Harley was probably the only person in this room who knew me then. So a little 19-year-old Corey uh, went on this to serve in Alaska, and I had incredible experiences. It's a really hard trip, but it's so worth it. So if money's an issue, write a support letter and see if people will help send you. And uh, if time's an issue, I'll just say it's, it's, it's worth it. So, and if you can't go, we love you and support us in prayer. But um, this Sunday, we'll do that, and it will be a lot of fun. So, um, also, if I cough and I need water, I'm still getting over sickness. So just be gracious with me tonight. So, all right, so we're starting this new series called The End. And um, it's kind of an odd series. I will say that, uh, like, at the beginning of this, like, if you might be coming in the room going, like, this is just... I don't really want to talk about the end. Like, that's just kind of weird. Um, but one of the things that I just felt like the last couple of months, God's like, you need to talk about this series. Um, and there's a few different reasons. Uh, when I read through the Bible, and you read through the New Testament in particular, you constantly see God is saying, listen, I am doing something in the future. And you have like the writers of the New Testament saying like, don't you know the hope you have? Don't you know a judgment is coming? Don't you know? And they're constantly, like God is constantly telling his people to think about the future. And then I started to think about it. How many of you actually feel like you think about the future? Like a decent amount of you. There's some of you who are scared. And I started to realize, like, like we, we struggle to think about the future, don't we? And there's all sorts of reasons why we struggle with this. Um, the first reason that I really think that we struggle with thinking about the future and what God for, has for us is that we're just distracted by the now. 
Like, uh, I think about Americans, like, we are, we're so focused on the now as Americans, especially with our comforts and, like, our dreams and our future and, like, everything that we're trying to, like, strive for right now. But then you say that we're young adults and, like, many of you, most of you in the room are probably in your 20s. You have some of you who are in your early 30s. And, like, let's just be honest, there's current stresses in life and you have future dreams. So to think about the future, especially what God has for you, it's just not something we naturally think about. You know, the questions we're thinking about, like, how am I going to pay the bills this month? Who am I going to be by 30? Who am I going to marry by 30? Will I be married by 30? How much money do I need to save for that down payment? There's so many, are there not just so many pressures now that have you distracted with the now? And so we're distracted with the now and it keeps us from thinking about the future. The the second thing that uh, I really feel like is true is if we're just going to be honest, we're in love with the now. We're not just distracted, but we love the now. Um, I have this like okay, silly exercise, but it's going to prove a point that I'm trying to say. Okay, so if you're a Christian in the room, raise your hand if you want Jesus to come back. Good job. You can put your hands down. All right, here we go. Put your hand up if you want it to happen right now. You know what I noticed? The hands were a lot slower. But isn't it? Okay, so think about that for a second. Literally, like, the hope of the Bible is, like, there is a kingdom coming. There's a new heavens and a new earth. You get to be with Jesus, and, you're like, and you can have it now, and it's like, ah. Like, let's just be honest. If you had a button that could trigger the end, you could be with Christ right now. If we're going to be honest in our heart of hearts, there's a good amount of us that would go, can you just wait, like, five years And we're young adults, so it pretty much means, like, I just want to have sex in marriage because, like, I'm just waiting for that. And once I'm, like, once, like, I can just experience the good gifts that God has given me, if I can just have some time to experience life, then I will be, like, I'll be ready for Christ to come. But it shows where, the fact that we don't want Christ to come yet shows that we love the now more than him in some ways. And I wanna, one of the things that I was thinking about this, it shows how brilliantly deceptive Satan is. Because one of the things that Satan has convinced us is, is that the gifts that God has given us, although stained by sin now, are way better than anything that God could offer in the future. So we're in love with the now, and that's why there's this hesitancy. So there's this distraction of the now. There's the in loveness with the now. Um, and then if we're going to be honest, uh, we're just confused, scared, and we have problems with the later. Do we not? It's like, these are the things we just, like, my grandparents fought about all this stuff, and it's just like, I just saw that went nowhere. But, like, the final judgment, let's just be honest, that sounds absolutely terrifying. I don't really want to think about it. Heaven, if I'm going to be honest, that just sounds boring. Like, if, it, if heaven is, is singing Chris Tomlin songs for all eternity... No wonder, no wonder we want to put it off. I love Chris Tomlin, but I can't do it all the time. (laughs) But then we get more serious, hell. And you're like, how could God, like how could God? Like judgment, hell for all eternity, are you serious? You say you have a God of love? Like how does that work with my parents who aren't Christians? And these, these are real people we're talking about, right? These are questions we have. And so we go, I just don't like to think about that, so I just won't think about it. And here's, what, here's why I think this matters, and here's why I think we like, need to think about this, and I want you guys to lean in. Satan's goal is to keep you from thinking about the future. Because there's promises that God has given you that are greater than anything you can ever imagine, and he does not want you to taste them. He does not want you to long for them, because it's actually going to transform the way that you live. 
and you're gonna start having hope, and when you're a Christian filled with hope and you're walking through suffering, and then you're filled with passion for Christ and his mission, Satan wants nothing, nothing in you to love that. And I think there's also another side of this. Satan doesn't want you to hear God's warnings because he's convinced that if you hear them, they might actually wake you up. They might actually wake you up into obedience. And not just so that you can obey God, but they might just actually wake you up into like life everlasting. And so I just want to say, if you're in the room tonight, I know this series might seem weird, but I'm, I'm hoping to make it as compelling as possible and to show the beauty of it. Um, but if you're in the room, I want you to know this. We don't naturally think about this maybe in our 20s, but at some point, every single one of us will suffer in life Every single one of us will face our mortality in the face. And when that happens, you start asking the questions of the things we're going to talk about in this series. I have a friend that I dearly love that told me today they have cancer. And I was like, dang. And what happens when stuff like that happens? You start to ask the hard questions, do you not? And so I just want to, we're going to jump into the series. So in this series, we're going to talk about the return of Christ and judgment. Uh, so tonight we're going to talk about the final judgment. Um, next week we actually have the founding pastor, like the person who started 710, Tyler Johnson, is going to talk to us about the hope of heaven. And then I'm going to end the series talking about what I would call like the mercy of hell. And so uh, does that sound good for the series? All right, can you pray with me before we jump into what we're going to talk about tonight? Uh, Lord, we just invite you and we welcome you. God, we ask that you would search our hearts um, God, we ask that you would meet us afresh. God, we ask that you would take um, the fear that maybe comes up in our hearts as we even talk about these things. And God, I pray that you would speak words of love and peace. God, I pray that you would spur us on um, to hope, God, for your kingdom in a deeper way after tonight. Uh, Christ, I pray that even when we're done tonight, when we hear about your judgment to come, that it would actually make us long to meet you. Um, and Lord, we have met you already, but Lord, we long to see you face to face. And so God, I pray that you would get our eyes off of ourselves and our current circumstance uh, onto you and to the future so that we can come back to where we are in the now and live for you. So Lord, we invite you. God, we ask that your will would be done. God, I pray that you'd give me clarity, uh, give me mental clarity, give me um, yeah, clear thinking and let me speak words that only your spirit would want me to say. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's uh, read a couple of verses uh, just for like some foundational passages. So Jesus says this in Matthew 25, 31 through 32. He says this, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. So it's this picture of like Christ coming down from heaven and he will sit on his earthly throne. And then it says, all the nations will be gathered before him. I want you to think about this for a second. Imagine all the nations of the entire world, past, present, and future, being gathered in one place before one person. Just use your imagination to think about the scene. This is what Jesus is describing. And Jesus says, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And so Jesus says, At a, there's a set day in the future where the nations are going to be gathered before me, uh, the dead will be raised, and I will start separating people 
based on whether they are part of my people or not a part of my people. And then you fast forward, Jesus, uh, he dies, he rises again, he ascends to the right hand of God where he's currently ruling all nations. And when his followers start proclaiming what the good news is, they include this same thing that Jesus says. Acts 17, 30 through 31 says this, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance and what he's talking about in context is worshiping other gods, putting anything first before God. Because in the past, God overlooked the ignorance of the idol worship of the nations. He says, but now there's a turning point in history. He commands all people everywhere to repent. That doesn't just mean like turn from your sin. It means turn from any way that you're living that is prioritizing anything other than me at the center of your life and turn towards my kingdom. And then in verse 31, uh, the author says this, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed, and he's referring to Jesus there. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So there's a set day, the nations will stand before God, we will stand before God, and Christ will judge the world with justice, and the proof of this is that God has raised him from the dead, all right? So that's what we're talking about. Now, when I was reading this, I was thinking through you and like how you'd be hearing this. I was processing it. Like how, how are we supposed to feel about this? Like let's just get it all out on the table. Like and maybe if some of you want to shout it out, how does this make you feel? Just give a couple of words. Scared. Scared. Astonished. astonished. Scared and astonished. What else we got? Nervous. Nervous. Lots of words. Lots of words. Yeah, on, let's just be honest. Some of us feel that way, do we not? It's like when you have like a great week and you're like, you know, your you version Bible count is like high, you know, like you're like, you're loving people. You haven't done that thing that you did last week and you're like, Christ, please come back. I'm so worthy of you coming back. And then there's the week where you're like, I did that thing. I didn't read my Bible yesterday. And it's like, Lord, please give me one more week, you know? But like, let's just be honest. There's, uh, it's dreadful, like a very real part of it is dreadful. It's also hopeful. Like it's a very hopeful thing for Christ to judge. We'll, we'll talk about that. But I think it's supposed to do both things in our hearts. And I think if you try to like listen to what I'm gonna say tonight and say like I should only feel encouraged and I shouldn't hear a warning. Or I should, I, if you only hear a warning tonight but you don't hear encouragement if you're a Christian, you've missed the whole point. It's a mixed bag and Christ I think wants us to actually feel all of those things. Um, and to talk about this, I wanna actually talk about Christ's judgment is a good thing. It's a hopeful thing. It's a thing that we should long for as Christians. And I want to I talk about that by talking about my trip to the Dominican. Okay, so I went, uh, like two weeks ago, I went to the Dominican Republic. And uh, if you don't know your geography, the Dominican uh, Republic shares an island with ha uh, Haiti. Uh, they hate each other, Haitians and Dominicans. They, like, there is like, a ton of just racism back and forth there. And uh, we, me and uh, Paul went with, um, have, how many of you have heard of Compassion International? So if, speaking of Chris Tomlin, you go to any Chris Tomlin concert and it's like Compassion International is like coming on after like he's done. Like they do incredible work. They're in so many countries throughout the world. Essentially what they do is they take care, um, uh, they love and serve the poor, primarily children, and they do holistic care for children in poverty. So you can like pay 38 bucks a month, you provide uh, this child um, 
like spiritual discipleship and care. You, you provide the child food. You provide the child medical insurance, which then blesses the whole family. And so when Paul and I went to this trip, one of the things that um, was just hard is you just experience poverty at such a deep level that many of us in the room haven't experienced before. And I, I want to show you a couple of trips or a couple uh, pictures of this. So, okay, this is the first church that we went to, and these are three awesome dudes. As you can see, people love to hang out with me. They're always looking to the side about what else is going on. And so uh, I don't speak Spanish, so maybe that was part of it. But um, so I got to see these kids. They're so, they're literally so cute. Like, you know, the classic hold up your hand and see like how high uh, they can jump and like, like pat you. It was great. Harley, keep going. This is Junior. So I have an 11-month-old daughter at home, and she's like, my heart melts when I think of her. And then I saw Junior, and my, I was like, man, I have appreciation for just like these little kids. And like Junior, literally, I, was, I told Chris, I was like, I want to take Junior home. Like that is wildly illegal, but I just, like, I just wanted to take Junior home. This is another little guy. Uh, I, I, I don't know his name because he didn't speak English, and there wasn't a translator there. But he gave me this like, cute little star, essentially saying, like, thank you for being here. I love you. He's also thrilled to see me. So... <laughs> Um, it, was, it was great. Um, and so this is where I'll start. I know the pictures are blurry, but deal with it. Um, okay, so, but then I started getting into these areas, and you start to see the poverty and the brokenness and the injustice that is just, like, horrifying. And it's, it's the darkness of these trips that you go, like, man, if it were not for Christ, this is terrible. And even with Christ, it's terrible. So a couple of, like, so things that you should know about the Dominican Republic— um, so 90% of children, so all these kids, 90%, not, like, think about how high that is. 90% of children are born without a father figure. So, um, and the reason for this is um, men in this culture and in this context want boys. And specifically, they want boys who can grow up to play baseball. And, uh, and so what happens is, Oftentimes, you'll have a, a man, uh, and he'll sleep with a woman to try to get a boy. Two girls, he abandons the family, finds another woman, gets her pregnant. Girls, all right, no girls or no boys. He moves on. And so what happens is there's this constant cycle of these men, and because they don't have a son, they end up abandoning these mothers and these daughters in poverty. And then you have these, like literally you have like these men chasing something and then all of a sudden you have a woman like this with her kids and they're completely stuck in poverty. It's, it's a horrible situation. Um, one of the other things that was so sad, so I remember when I got there and I saw some of these women who were pregnant and, and uh, I saw some of these moms. And I remember looking at some of these women, I was like, how old are you? I was like, you, like... I felt like Crystal was young and like we were young when we had our kid. They said the average age that somebody has, uh, a woman has a child in the Dominican Republic is 13, 14, and 15. And the reason for that is, that's the average age. That's not like, hey, in, in the churches, like the average age. The reason for that is you have older men taking advantage of these, of these girls. And so one of the pastors was saying, like, I constantly am trying to shoo away these men that are trying to take advantage of these vulnerable women. So you have a, imagine being 13, imagine back in junior high, you get pregnant and you have no father, and you get pregnant and now it's like, congratulations, you have a kid. Figure it out. And it's this horrible situation where 
these women are, are pregnant at such a young age, and the church comes around and rallies around them in amazing ways, and compassion does, but it's, isn't it sad? It's sad. Um, and so I was visiting this family in a home visit, and so um, I can't remember her name, and I'm sorry, I'm terrible with names, and there's, we saw so much, but this was this mom. She, um, she was, uh, yeah, willing enough to let us into her home. Harley can go, keep going. This is her house. Um, and you can't see it, but it's pretty much, I forget what it's called, but it's this, whatever, like sheet metal, yeah, put together. And uh, you can see it, there's a picture inside, we'll get to it, but there's holes all over the, um, that's actually her kitchen. So this is outside of her house, like that's her kitchen, that's what she has. Uh, you can go inside. And so you can imagine, this is her house, dirt floor, there's two beds, five kids uh, sleep on one bed. And uh, her and her husband, she has a husband, and they sleep on another bed. So see those holes in the ceiling? What do you think happens when it rains? Their house floods. What do you, it, there's no bathroom. There's no running water. They had one little light bulb that, like, flickered the whole time. And the reason they're stuck in poverty, one of the reasons is, and Josue can speak to this as well, is if you don't have papers in the Dominican, let's say you come over from Haiti, or you just don't have papers, you're born and don't have papers, there's no possible way for you to get papers. So you're just literally stuck in poverty without an avenue out. And then what happens on top of this is her husband, I was like, so where's your husband? And she said, he's working. And I said, okay, like, what does he do? And she's like, well, he doesn't have his papers. So he's a contractor. So he works, he kind of does some farming, agricultural stuff. People will hire him out. And let's say minimum wage is like 12 bucks here in the U.S. They'll pay him like the equivalent of six because he doesn't have papers. So they can take advantage of him. And so he'll make six bucks, to, which barely provides enough money for them to feed their family. And so there's this oppression of not giving people their wages because you don't have papers, but we can take advantage of you and all that. Isn't that horrible? Yes. It's horrible, I know. And I remember when I went there, I was thinking, I was like, who's gonna hold like, these fathers accountable that are abandoning their kids? Like, who's going to hold the contractors and the companies and the government accountable that uses oppressive wages for this family? And, like, I was like, who's going to hold, like, who's going to hold these people accountable who are perpetrating injustice? And then one of the things that God showed me in this, he's like, I am. Like, Jesus says, I am coming to judge the world with equity and I am actually going to do something about the brokenness in the world. And this is the first thing that I want you guys to see about injustice and God's judgment, is God's judgment is good news for the world. God's judgment is good news for the world. I think oftentimes, if you're in an American context, and maybe if you're not a Christian in the room, oftentimes the world and people, they criticize, they criticize the Christian faith because like, how dare you have a God that judges? How dare, how could God judge? And they have all these like, these, these like accusations against God. And I'm just saying, listen, what the Bible is presenting is that, the, that Christ's judgment isn't the problem. It's actually the solution to the thing that your heart is broken over. Does that make sense? Like we just, because we're Americans, we, go, we get so obsessed with our lives, our salvation, and that we can't see the brokenness of the world and that the world, the world is actually crying out for somebody to come and say, like, will you come and actually make this right? And the promise of the gospel, and that's why when we say the good news, Christ has come to judge, is saying like, listen, there is somebody who's actually gonna hold these fathers accountable, who's actually gonna hold these contractors accountable, who's actually gonna hold 
the world accountable to what's going on. N.T. Wright says this. He says, God's coming judgment is a good thing, something to be celebrated, longed for, yearned over. It causes people to shout for joy in the trees of the fields to clap their hands. We'll see this in a second. In a world of systematic injustice, bullying, violence, arrogance, and oppression, the thought that there might come a day when the wicked are firmly put in their place and the poor and weak are given their due is the best news that there can be. Faced with a world in rebellion, a world full of exploitation and wickedness, a good God must be a God of judgment. It's interesting in Psalm 98, verses 7 through 9, so we said like the majority of you who said like, oh man, when I think of Christ's judgment, I think of fear and I don't want it to happen. And then when you read the scriptures, you see that people are actually celebrating at the judgment of God. Psalm 98, 7 through 9, it says this, let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, that includes you and me. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and all the peoples with equity. And here's the point I want to make. When we talk about God's judgment, we're not talking about, I think so many of us, we think that the, the primary purpose of God's judgment is punishment. But what the scriptures are saying is God's judgment is primarily restorative, not punishment. It's restorative, it's not punitive. And so on both sides, we have political corruption, we have wars in Ukraine. Like, think about the war in Ukraine and like Russia. It's like, who's actually going to hold anybody accountable to this? Like, it's just all everybody posing military might. Uh, you have religious hypocrisy. Maybe you're not a Christian in the room, and you're like, the reason you have not shown up into a room like this is because of people standing where I'm standing who have failed or failed you. And you're like, there's just so much religious, religious hypocrisy. Who's going to hold those people accountable? There's child prostitution. If you're a person of color, there's experience of racism. And you're like, who's actually going to deal with all this? And God, God goes, listen, I'm not a sadistic monster where I'm just like excited to punish people, but I'm not an indulgent grandparent where I just like spoil the grandkids with whatever they want with no punishment. He goes, I am good and just and I will do something about the brokenness in my world. God's judgment is good news for our world. Do you guys get what I'm saying? I want to start there. The second thing that I think the scripture shows us is that God's judgment is good news for your world. So it's good news for that world, but it's God's judgment is also good news for your world. Um, How many of you have ever been taken advantage of and the other person got off? Just four of you? Isn't that the worst feeling in the whole world? Like, have you ever, have you ever, we're not gonna talk about, don't any names, but but have you ever been taken advantage of somebody and they completely got off and there was nothing that could happen about it? Uh, This is a small thing, but it felt big at the time. I remember, um, I think it was like the month our daughter came, my wife and I got scammed, like 16 or 1800 bucks, which is a lot of money for us, by the way, just to throw that out there. That's not like pocket change for a teacher and a pastor at the time. Uh, but I remember when my wife called me and she was like, we literally just got scammed. And it was like, it wasn't like a silly scam either. There was a, 
Like, I remember the bank talking to my wife, and they're like, that was pretty impressive what those scammers did. But I remember the feeling. I was like, well, thanks. That's awesome. Thank you for helping us. <clears throat> but I remember, like, it's like, okay, so you're, like, saving up thousands of dollars to have this baby, and then all of a sudden thousands of dollars leave, and you're like, what the heck is going on? And then they're struggling after we had the baby with finances and extra bills and taxes, and I'm like, you know, like, all the things that make us young adults just, like, cringe. But I remember that feeling of going, like, who the heck like, these people are just going to take our money and leave. And that's it. And that's it. Um, on a more serious note, I have a friend. Um, uh, uh, yes, I have a friend who was... was I'm, you'll see why in a second. It's not funny. But uh, I, wanna, I don't want to say names. You wouldn't know the person anyway. But um, they were preyed upon by their teacher. And, um, you know, this person that had this incredible reputation at the school... Um, as like the godly person failed and take it, took advantage of one of the students. And the person is now going to counseling and trying to repair the shame and the brokenness and the husband is processing with me of what it's like to have a wife who's been taken advantage of like that. And I remember the anger, justly so, of this, of my friend of mine processing to me, trying to process somebody else, take advantage of uh, his now wife. And I remember looking at him going like, that sucks. And I'm really sorry. And I'm so thankful that Christ will make it right. I'm so thankful that Christ will make it right. And so when I say that God's judgment is good news for your world, let's get the, uh, the judgment off ourselves and onto you in a different way of thinking about Christ judging you, but Christ judging for you if you're a Christian. So many of you, so many of you in the room have experienced deep loss because of people who have taken advantage of you. Many of you have been abused. Many of you have experienced horrific things that your parents have done or, or things that have been done to your parents or things that have been done to you or your friends. Is that not true? And isn't there a part of you that says, I want somebody to have my freaking back in it? And all these people are moving on and the pain and all this stuff and there's just like, well, I guess the world just moves on. And then Paul says in Romans 12, he goes, what, is, what does Paul say? Vengeance is whose? Mine. And I wanted to tell you, there is, if you're a Christian in the room and you are hurting and you are struggling because you have been sinned against, the good news of the gospel that Christ comes to judge is that he's not just coming to judge and you will have to give an account. He's, the people who hurt you will have to give an account to him. And he's going to do something about it because he loves you deeply. Do you hear that? That's why 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 7 says this for us as believers. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. And then he says this, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. How many of you just say, like, I just want relief? I just want relief. I will need the relief of God. God says, I will give you relief and I will give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. And I just want to tell you in the room, God's judgment is good for you because if you are a follower of Jesus, he has your back. And he will not let things done to you go underneath the rug. Amen? Okay. It's beautiful, isn't it? 
All right, let's talk about ourselves, <clears throat> and we're going we're gonna to wrap it up here the next half of the message. Um, we will all ourselves give an account to the Lord, though. Christ says uh, the nations will be gathered before him, and each individual will come up to give an account of their lives for God. And I just want to give five characteristics about the final judgment or things I think the Bible says. And um, some of them will be like, okay, I need to wrestle with that. And some of them will be really encouraging. Um, but I just want to actually tell you what the Bible actually says is going to happen when Christ returns and what his judgment is about, what it's like, what is he going to talk about, all that stuff. Does that sound good? So all the questions parts, I think this is where it's going to get answered. Okay, the first thing. Um, the first thing that we need to know about the final judgment is that Christ's judgment starts with his own people. Um, one of the things that I've seen in the church is that the church, and I'm not saying the whole church, but how many of you heard somebody in the church say, like, God's going to judge those people? And it's like, Christians use the judgment of Christ as like this, like, self-righteous way of throwing grenades at the world. It's like, oh, politics right now. Oh my gosh, the left, you know? Oh my gosh, the right. God's gonna judge them. Just like, whoa, okay. Okay, here we go. But, and we oftentimes as Christians, we, 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 we point the finger at the world and say, God is gonna judge you. Um, but the reality is, the world can point the finger back at us and go, God's gonna judge you first. And that's true. Did I read that 1 Peter 4.17 already? Okay, let me read this. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin with who? God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, the scripture is saying, listen, for those who do not obey the gospel of God, there is judgment, and we will talk about that. But Peter goes, just so you know, it begins with you. And I think one of the things that we just need to understand first is that the world is not going to get the first criticism from the Lord, the church is. And it doesn't mean that Christ is eager to come back and criticize us. I don't believe that's his heart. We'll talk about more of this. But I do think God goes, listen, I gave you an incredible responsibility to bear my name in the world, and I want to talk with you about how you bared my name in the world. And I want to talk about it. And I think as Christians, I think briefly, I think what this should do in our hearts is it should cultivate humility when we look at the world and we think about judgment, we have to go like, we will stand first before the Lord. I think it should cultivate a softness of heart and I really think it should cause us to remove the plank from our eye when we try to take the speck out of the world's eye. Does that make sense? Where we go, listen, as Christians, we just have to say, and if you are a person in the room who is not a Christian and you're fed up with Christians, the good news to you is God goes, hey, I know I'm gonna start with them. Does it make sense? So we need to humble ourselves and have a softness of heart and remove the plank in our own eye and the hypocrisy, and it should cause us to self-evaluate. The second thing that we should see, and this is kind of moving on the same thing, is that Christ's judgment will expose religious hypocrisy. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. This is the, I just want to say this. This is the verse that everybody reads and they're like, you know, like this is like the verse you don't put on your coffee mug. Like this is like, this is the one, this is the one where you read it and you're immediately asking to like get resaved after it. You know, it's like, it just, it just, and I don't mean to like make light of it, but I'm trying to make a point is like as Christians, let's just be honest, we struggle with this verse, do we not? And if you don't, you'll see why in a second. Matthew, this is what Jesus says. So by the way, and, I, and this is why I just gotta like, just, I'm gonna throw out like a tension I feel so that you can see the tension I feel. There's some of you in the room right now who are terrified at me even talking about this. And there's a temptation for pastors to go, oh, don't, 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 don't worry about it. You're fine. This isn't about you. It's not my place to do that. There's also some of you in the room who 
like are so hard-hearted towards God, so judgmental towards others, and you just like you ha- you just don't care about the Lord that much, and you're like super religiously self-righteous. And that's not me saying that against you. Um, it's just like there's two types of people in the room that like the the judgment of God doesn't like move you at all. It doesn't give you any sort of like quake. And there's like such an irreverence that like this verse is for you. Um, and I have to like talk to both people in the room. Does that make sense? So I'm not going to try to relieve things for you, but I am going to try to paint a fair picture of who I think Jesus is talking about. And I think we should always examine our hearts. Does that make sense? So I'm going to end in a place where I encourage you because I think as Christians, God wants us to like really like long for this day, but I don't think I can just relieve tension for you. Does that make sense? So I feel that and I just want to say that. So here we go. Not everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So first note, they know Jesus and they're not going to enter the heaven. Make sense? But only who, who enters, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Now that terrifies me because I've done none of the above. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, maybe prophecy. Like I maybe have like given a word to somebody that was like from the Lord. I'm like, check. But I'm like, driving out demons? Like, we haven't had, like, an exorcism night yet. Like, <laughs> driving out demons. I haven't performed any miracles. Uh, and then, this, guess what Jesus says to some of those people? I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What the heck is going on? In the context of this verse, um, Jesus is talking to his disciples. So, and I think that matters. Because oftentimes we think about this and we think about the world. Many of you out there will say, Lord, Lord, you know? But in context, Jesus is just teaching his disciples. And then at the end of teaching his disciples, he gives his own people this warning. So this war- these words of Jesus is for you, Christian, in the room who say, I follow Jesus. Um, now, um, let me say this. I'm going to read this quote, and then I'll, I'll make a statement of who I think Jesus is talking about. Uh, Josh Butler says this. He says, Religious hypocrisy is one of the primary things Jesus associ- associates with the power of hell. So it's interesting. Jesus, uh, in the scriptures, he's constant, his harshest words are for religious fakers, um, self-righteous people, and his most gracious words are towards like the last and lost sinner. And so Jesus, uh, he says this, and God is going to kick it outside his city when he returns. God raises the bar rather than lowers it for those who bear his name in the world. So the first and foremost, I just want you to say, for us as Christians, God raises the bar of expectation, not lowers it. It's like, you're a Christian, congratulations, your bar is so low now. You know, it's like, no, like, you're a Christian, all right, you have a really high standard, you bear my name. And I just want you to know, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, only those who obey it. Now, who is, who, who should I, who, let's just be honest, who should we picture, who should we picture Jesus talking about? Because let's just be honest, there's people like, I know the name of Jesus, I haven't done some of those things, it's Jesus talking about me, and that's where all the fear comes in. And here's my best guess, who's, here's who I think Jesus is talking about. I think he's talking about somebody who is in a lot of proximity to Jesus. Um, and what I mean by that is like they're church people, they're not like on the like, fringes of society. Um, 
I've used the language, I don't think proximity equals intimacy. Like you can be close to Jesus, but it doesn't mean you're intimate with him. You can be close to the things of God, but it doesn't mean you know him. Um, I think it's somebody who's uh, close in proximity to the things of God and Jesus. I think it's somebody who minimizes love for others in obedience to Jesus for themselves, but raises that bar for other people. You, know what you ever met that person? Where it's like they, uh, their love for others is like, like just not a thing. And they're super judgmental towards the world. Like all they can do is judge the world. All they can do is talk about how people in the church suck and how amazing they are. Uh, so they raise the bar of expectation for others, but in their own life, the bar is so low. I think the person that you should picture is something like that, who says, Lord, Lord, I know you. I do incredible things for you. I'm a small group leader. I'm in this. And Jesus goes, I never knew you. You don't love me, and you're not expressing that through love for others. In fact, you put burdens on people, and I never knew you. Who should we not picture? I don't think we should picture somebody. If you're in the room going like, oh my gosh, is this me? It's probably not you then. Because the person Jesus talks about is so confident in themselves. Do you get what I'm saying? That they're like, of course, Jesus, it's me. And Jesus is going, it's all the people who are broken over their own sin, humble, contrite in heart, and go, Lord, I'm trying. I'm failing. Help me try more. Christ goes, welcome, come on in. So Christ's judgment will expose religious hypocrisy. How we doing? Point two of five. We doing good? Want me to keep going or should we just stop? Okay. Uh, okay, number three. Christ's judgment uh, will include giving an account of our lives. So um, Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. That's terrifying and really encouraging in a lot of ways. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must what? Give an account. Romans 14, 10 and 12 says this, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Okay, so when I was growing up, I remember like this was the particular thing that terrified me, right? Like this is the thing. It's like, I have to give an account of myself to God? What does that even mean? I thought I could just walk on through because I had faith, you know, all this stuff. Um, but I, in my experience, I think typically to manage fear, we minimize what's going to happen at the a final judgment, or we maximize what's going to happen so we can scare ourselves into thinking we're good enough so that we can be better, so that we can then strangely have confidence. You know what I'm talking about? So what I mean by this is, like, typically there's two errors, to, two ways I think we talk about the final judgment that error and are wrong. I think on one hand, we talk about it as, like, a movie theater. How many of you have the parents that's like, just so you know, someday all your sin is going to be on a movie theater screen, and everybody's going to see it, all your friends, Everything that was dark and naked and expo will be exposed. And all, everybody will see Christ's judgment. Your account will be like, Corey, I, I saw uh, when you were 17 years old. Uh, can you rewind to that scene? I saw that Friday night. Pretty wild. That was a wild one, Corey, wasn't it? So yeah, I know I was. Have anything to say about it? Not really. It's right there. You know what I'm saying? But it's like... <laughs> It's like, hey, or like, I, I noticed when you were seven years old, you talked to your mom, you know, it's like, but, but so, so some people like scare us into this like extreme weird version where God like gets pleasure out of embarrassing us. Of our, you know what I'm saying? That is not what it means to give an account of ourselves to God. That's dramatic, but you get my point. Where you just like, some of you think giving an account will just be God telling you all the things that you did wrong and you having to explain yourself. I don't think it's that. On the other hand, I think you have these people that are like, 
Um, they want to minimize the final judgment. Don't worry, you will never have to stand before Jesus because we're Christians after all, you know? Like, it's not a big deal. So it's like this passport check where it's like, all right, you have your passport, you get in line. Hey, Lord, what's up? Let me see your passport. Great, you have faith. Stamp, come on in, you know? Where it's just like, that's it? Yep, come on in. And I just like, I think both of those things are like wrong and not what it means. This is what I think it means. I don't think Christ has pleasure at all of showing us our sin and I don't think he is, like he's more respectable than just to let us go on by without giving an honest conversations about our lives. Um, and here's what I mean by this. <clears throat> I don't think Christ at the final judgment will have you give an account for something that you and him have already dealt with. So I just want to acknowledge some of you in the room, uh, and myself included, have things in your life that you are so freaking embarrassed about. Just me? why some of you are here. There's shame. And some of you have already spent time in your room, on your knees, begging God for forgiveness, and you've had radical moments where God has met you in that with love, grace, and healing. And what does God say? As far as the east is from the west, your sins are separated from you, and you are not judged for those things. So God's not going to be like, hey, I know you already apologized for that, and I already forgave you, but I just want to bring it up and talk about it. Is that cool? I don't think God's going to do that. I think what's going to happen is, I used this example earlier, but there are things in our lives that we need to give an account for, do we not? So think about this. You're, you have beef with somebody. Me and Jonathan got beef. I hate Jonathan. I'm a Christian. He hates me. We had a disagreement because he didn't play the song I liked at 710. But he said, I don't care. I'm singing my song anyway. And we have huge beef. And we have so big of beef that we separate and never talk to each other again. Because we can't believe that he is the type of person that would disrespect me like that. And I can't believe he's the type, you know what I'm saying? Like, so like, and then we separate and we spend the rest of our lives. We're both legitimate born-again Christians. We love Jesus. And then we come to the final judgment. And I, I make fun of that, but you guys all have those relationships in your life. Like, I just don't talk to them anymore. You know, it's like the prayer request. Like, we just stop talking. In other words, we just don't reconcile. We just moved on. I think for, in a more serious way, Jonathan and I stand before the Lord and Christ goes, because I'm a God of reconciliation and because I'm a God of justice, and I'm not like, sweep it under the rug, come on in. God goes, Corey, why couldn't you reconcile with Jonathan? Jonathan, why couldn't you reconcile with Corey? Why did you do that? Why did, you know how that made him feel? Do you know, like, and this happens on massive levels? Like, some of you, like, there's, like, wrong that's been done, and it's unaddressed, and I think we just, like, well, God, Christ for, like, forgave me, and let, he'll just have me come on in. And I think there will be moments in our life where we have unaddressed things in our life that not Christ is going to stand before him, and we have to give an account so that he can just, like, get mad at us, but he, I think he goes, I need to purify this, and I want to have a conversation about this thing. Does that make sense? So there will be an account of ourselves to God. I think God will go, Corey, how did you use your position in 710? Who are you behind the scenes? How did you treat your wife? You attended to them. Did you attend to her? And I think I have to give an account, not because Christ won't let me into his kingdom, but because he, he wants to know how I stewarded what he gave me. So we have to get, give an account. Does that make sense? We'll have to give an account of things that we committed. Absolutely. And I think most of giving an account will say, why didn't you? Or like the things that you omitted. Does that make sense? So there's a ton of questions in that, and I don't have all the answers, but I do know that 
it, there will be an account. Is that fair? So one of the things that I want to say about that is I think it says that your life really actually matters. And that leads me to point four, which is Christ's judgment is based on works. Now some of you are like, what the heck did you just say? We're Christians, right? Um, let me read some verses and I'm going to make my point and then I'm, I got to wrap this up. So Christ's judgment is based on works. Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man... That's Jesus is going to come in the Father's glory with all his angels. So think about the scene. This is Jesus' words, by the way. Uh, and then he will reward each person according to what? Their faith? According to what they've done. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for what? The things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Uh, this is all throughout the New Testament. And by the way, um, this isn't really debated amongst scholars. All scholars say that uh, the judgment is based on works. Uh, Romans 2, Paul says, uh, like, humanity will have to give an account based on what they've done, whether good or wicked. Jesus in Matthew 25 separates people um, based on they loved the poor and God's people, and they didn't. And he separates them based on what they've done. Here's the point. You, as a Christian, you are justified by faith, but you are judged by works. And justified, if you're new to faith, means declared righteous. So when you become a Christian and when you put your faith in Jesus, you are declared by God to be righteous. And what justification is, is saying, on judgment day, you will be declared righteous in God's sight, and I'm declaring that early. Jonathan comes to know the Lord at 25. He's declared righteous. So he knows on judgment day, he's going to hear, well done, good, my faithful servant but you're justified by faith and you're judged by works. And here's why. Because for faith, uh, for Jesus, faith equals loyalty. Whatever you put your faith in, you're loyal to. Whatever, whatever you trust in, you're loyal to. And so when God looks at your life, he's not saying, I'm like now deciding to like save you based on works. You're saved on faith, but he's saying, I'll know if you have faith by what you did with your life. Doesn't mean that you won't sin. Doesn't mean that there won't be deep seasons of struggle. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means when I look at your life, me in you, Christ in you, will so permeate your life that there will be evidence of my work in your life, and that's what you will be judged on. Does that make sense? In the same way that a human body can't be alive without breath, so you can't be a Christian without works. Does that make sense? And so again, I think Paul would say, evaluate your life. Like, are you like Jesus? And we need to take an honest evaluation of that. All right, this is the best thing, and this is where we're going to end. Christ's judgment is a hopeful reward. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes, because he's judging. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And you're like, oh, that's terrifying. But then he goes, no, that's a positive thing. And at that time, each will receive the, what? Their praise from God. Matthew 10, 32, this is Jesus. <clears throat> Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. All right, have you ever been praised by somebody who has a high position? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> like, have you ever been praised by your boss? Like, being praised by, like, the boss on your team is cool. It's like, so, like, when I, like, tell Jade, like, Jade, you're freaking awesome. She's like, that's kind of cool that you said that. But, like, when I hear that from, like, Brian, who's the next-gen pastor, like, 
Jade, you're amazing. It's like Corey's praise is nothing compared to Brian. But then you go to like, okay, well, when was it the elders of the church like went up to Jade and like, Jade, we just want to publicly say you are incredible and you are a gift to this church. The level of value and love is so deep in that moment because the person has a high position of power. Does that make sense? So when we think about the judgment, and I think this is the primary way, primary way we can think about it, and I think it should stir passion. God is more eager to talk about the things that you've done well and that please him than he is about the things that are sinful. Like God is, like he is excited to tell you how amazing you are and the gift that he produced in you for his kingdom to the world. Like he's so eager about it. And I think if you could use your imagination and go, there will literally be a day where all my love for the Lord, the secret hidden things, the devotion, the obedience, those times where I was under temptation and I said, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you, that time where you chose not to retaliate, that time you chose not to gossip, that time where you chose to do the hard thing, although like it cost you, all those things, there will be a day, Christ goes, listen, if you acknowledge me on earth, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven and the angels. And I just think about this moment, Christian, in the room, if you are a follower of Jesus, there will be a moment in the room no matter how much of a life your shambles are in, where Christ will take the good things that you're done. He'll burn away the things that like, were wicked and wrong, and he won't like, dismiss it, but he'll burn those things in grace, and he will take the beauty of what you did and how you served him, and he will acknowledge you before the Father and before the angels. Where he will say, I am so proud of Misael. Angels, Misael. Like, would you, like, Christ is, like, I picture him teary-eyed going, I'm so proud of how you served me. And I saw what you did, and I want everybody to know I am proud of you. He's like, all right, Tenny, Paris. He's like, I'm so proud. And I say, if you want to look forward to the judgment, that's what you should look forward to. Standing before the Lord saying, Lord, I love you. And Christ goes, I acknowledge you. You are my son. You are my daughter. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. And we will lay our crowns before the Lord, and we will give praise to him. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Will you guys stand with me? And um, will you pray with me as I pray? <clears throat> Lord, we are, uh, we are humbled and grateful. Uh, by your judgment, Lord. Uh, Christ, we just, uh, we give you praise and God, we thank you, um, Lord, that the, the judge is also our savior. And Lord, you are just as much of a savior as you are a judge, which means, Lord, just as real as the promise is that you will judge the earth, just as real as the promise that you will save us from the judgment to come. So Lord, uh, for us as Christians in the room, we give thanks to you, we praise you. And Christ, we thank you that you have nailed the record of wrongs, Lord, our sin against the cross, Lord, so that we would be forgiven and cleansed and found in you and have a righteousness that we did not deserve on our own, but Lord, was freely given to us. And so, Lord, we look forward to the day where we would give an account of our lives and we look forward to that day, Lord, for the moment where you would show grace in our sin and you will show gratitude and praise for the ways that you worked yourself and your righteousness in our lives. But Lord, we also humble ourselves knowing that it's no light thing 
uh, to stand before our creator. And so, Lord, any pride in our hearts, Lord, that wants to lift ourselves up over others or even over ourselves, God, we confess and we humble ourselves. We ask that you would forgive us of our pride. God, would you lead us out of sin that we're struggling with? Would you lead us into life everlasting? And Lord, as we sing tonight, we sing with grateful praise because again, Lord Jesus, uh, you are our judge, but you are our savior. And we thank you that we get to experience that. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.